Guys, welcome to the podcast. Before we get started, as ever, remember that all the information you're about to hear is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any illnesses or diseases. Please make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner before implementing any of the things we may discuss in this podcast. Speaking of education, if you're an exercise professional, coach or anyone working within the realms of health and fitness, when you're done listening here, make sure to head on over and check out our education portal at www themusclementors.co.uk if you like us and truly care about the well-being of your clients about getting access to the best and most up-to-date information in the areas of exercise mechanics hypertrophy sleep improving your online coaching services and much much more then be sure to join up you'll gain access to endless hours of content focused around everything you need to become a true elite coach and get your clients in the best physical shape possible this is all in the form of video lectures weekly live education sessions and study groups you also get early access to our podcast and access to any exclusive Q&A segments we do with our guests. The content never stops on the portal. It's not a one-off course. It's an ever-evolving learning platform designed to give you the best information possible in this area. Head on over to our website and become part of our epic community, full to the brim of other professionals who, like yourself, are focused on providing the best health and physique-related results for their clients. Join us and them and gain the resources, support and accountability you need to become the elite of the health and fitness industry. For now, though, grab yourself a pen and paper and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Muscle Mentors podcast, everyone. Um, how are you guys doing? So today, myself, Luke, Paul, Jimbo, James, <laughs> gonna nod. Um, so yeah, good. Um, we are back for a uh, Q and A. And I realised I just said, how are you doing? And then didn't actually wait for an answer there. <laughs> well, I wasn't sure whether you were asking the audience or asking us. So I, was, I felt confused. I you guys. I wouldn't ask the audience. I mean, are they going to reply? I'm going to ask them. Everyone yeah. listening, how you doing? <laughs> Good? <laughs> we'll wait. We'll wait for it. We'll wait. We'll wait for the reply. This could be helpful. Might be a while. But no, the, uh, well, I hope everyone is well who's listening. And, uh, I don't. I hope you're really struggling. <laughs> I don't. I'll tell you who will be. The amount of the amount of times someone's been late for a team meeting and Paul's been like, oh, I hope he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say I hope. I'm just that's usually my go-to. Well, like, there's been like, death in the sentence somewhere. <laughs> I've used this enough times that one of these days someone is going to have passed away and I'm gonna feel awful. I mean, not as bad as them, because you know they'll be dead. But I'll feel pretty bad about it. I'm slightly concerned with this said when I missed a team meeting. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, you've been in. You've, this is coming to you too. <laughs> well, we actually freaked out a little bit about Luke's one because Luke, Luke was like 20 odd minutes of silence. And Luke's never silent in the group chat for long. So we uh, we started joking. Oh, he's probably dead. And then when the silence carried on, we were like, oh my God. It's, we, like, we messaged his mum. We were like, have you heard from Luke? Is he alive? <laughs> I think Ryan speculated you got lost in the mountain somewhere on a hike. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but no, Ro- Ross uh, Ross can't join us today. Um, he's a scumbag. We'll leave it at he's that. Has he, he passed, passed on? I think he got lost in Moria doing some weird things. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he was meant to be here, but for some reason, we're going to continue without him. I hope he's okay. <laughs> Paul's going to say something about him being dead now. <laughs> no, I've already asked that question. I said, has he, uh, has he, has he passed from this? Oh, right, okay. Well, maybe. Maybe, maybe he fell off the bridge of Kazadoom. Who knows? Um, uh, if anyone didn't get that reference, then change your life and watch Lord of the Rings. Um, moving on. We are doing a Q&A podcast again. Um, and um, I mean, Ross might rock up at any point at this, to be fair. I wouldn't be surprised if he just enters the chat. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're going to like ignore all the silly questions we've got because this is a very serious podcast in general. We don't tend to joke around at all. Um, we make no jokes. Absolutely none. Um, so we're going to go straight in with just straight up serious questions, introspective questions, philosophical questions, mm-hmm. no humor. Um, we'll go straight in with, in fact, I've, I've jotted down the rough thing, but I get the exact question and who it was from. It was from Ronan McAvoy. Where do you tend to draw the line on how hard slash deep to push a client to achieve a transformation? I'll let you answer this one, Paul. <laughs> I will stop. 
rephrase. Where do you draw the line on how hard and deep to go with a client? Is Interesting. That... Now, the, there are many answers to such question, uh, most of which start with <laughs> things I probably shouldn't say. I'm going to ignore those ones. I'm going to take the more, I'm going to take the high ground, which is rare for me. It's almost it's too obvious. I feel bad making <laughs> making the joke. I think. Yeah. So this is that you thought it. So as long as we all acknowledge we all thought the same thing here, then that's great. So. The irony is as well, he, he put this in two questions because it was too big to fit in one. So it does oh, come. Wow. Where do you tend to draw the line? <laughs> it was too big to fit in one, was it? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's a common problem that Luke has, I've heard from uh, reliable sources. I have, I've never heard that, but I'm going to speculate. I'm just going to put it out there. And uh, ladies, should you wish to find out? Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, so clients achieving transformations, how hard and deep do we push them? That's particularly me every single time. <laughs> uh, clients are tree achieving transformations. How hard should you go? So uh, that's actually quite a good question. And as with almost all the questions, we're going to go, it depends because we're annoying, but let's try and flesh out a little bit of, of what it depends on. So I think when we're first starting out for the beginning of a prep process, we're generally a bit more able to push harder than we're going to be towards the end of it. But we still have to caveat that because is how experienced is this trainee before coming into the transformation style kind of process? Some people come into it and almost use it as a kickstart and don't have a huge background, in which case we're not going to go aggressively, aggressively with certain parts straight out of the gate because they're going to need to develop a bunch of skills first. So you can't push them as hard in, say, training as we could push someone with a lot more training experience. But we might be able to go super aggressive with their diet stuff from that point if they're ready to do so. As they then kind of move through, we're going to go, all right, their, their training capacity is starting to lower. And there's no hard and fast rule for this. It's just checking in with your client and asking them questions. I use it as part of my, my check-in process. Like, how's your energy? What's your motivation to train like? We have a bunch of spreadsheets that track this stuff if someone is in a prep process. But you, depending on the client, can just ask them as well and start to know, all right, do we need to back off the volume? Do we need an actual full deload period? Or, okay, I've got a client, Jack, who is now uh, a month out from a photo shoot. And in this last five weeks in the run up to it, as he's really starting to suffer a little bit more with some of his energy, we've pulled all the really high intensity sets. He's not doing rest pauses and drop sets at this point now. Yeah, he might go to failure, but it's one point of failure. It's not continual failure and then try and keep going and dying, et cetera. But he was using that beforehand and enjoyed that. And then we used how he felt about it. I'm like, cool, here's my theory. Here's what we're thinking, Jack. What you reckon? Cool, yeah, good idea. Let's go try it. And then hit me with your feedback. And he was like, oh, dude, so much better. Feeling way better getting through these things. Performance is now actually holding quite fast and going up still on a few bits and pieces. So the metric was, did it work? And the answer in this instance is, yeah. So we made the right call probably at this point by, by doing something like that. But it is going to be one that you gauge also on the personality of of the individual as well would be another thing but i've waffled enough so let's let's throw it over to jimbo to uh to add some stuff i think that that personality of the individual is a, a huge area that we can't sort of uh disregard and so i know for myself when i've dieted i in this odd way i wanted to suffer and there's still a lot of people that want to feel that little bit of discomfort during that process and um, which is frowned upon at this moment in time a lot within the <laughs> industry but it's not necessarily a bad thing to see, well, how far can we push it and where can we take it to if we feel the individual is in a good place mentally to go there and there's no signs or symptoms or red flags that are showing up in terms of taking them in there before. Um, and that's down to the experience, I think, as a coach, whether we go there with a client or not and how far potentially we push them to that maybe depleted, I say depleted as a general term type state, um, in terms of how they're feeling just day to day or how they're feeling maybe with their training performances. Um, so I think like sometimes within industry, we paint the picture that everything should be softy, softy and real nice. Whereas actually it's not always a bad thing to pull the pin if it's appropriate for the individual and that client in that moment within their life and everything else there. You get a whole bunch of people who actually like pushing things quite hard and you, you, it's not difficult you just have to ask them <laughs> but you can just ask your client like another one of mine john doesn't you know he's a was in the navy previously pt kind of himself rugby lad you know he 
has asked, right, I would rather do a short, sharp and painful something than an extended, drawn out one. And unless that's a big issue for the person's life, i.e. they keep trying to do short, sharp and painful and they've developed binge eating disorder and they're making themselves sick. So we've got some bulimic tendencies, perhaps, or something kind of like that. Yeah. Okay. obviously, we need to really recognize that and have a have a heartfelt conversation with our client if they're open enough to say those things and they won't always be and these might also be people that we're not really ready to work with or they're not ready to address the problem themselves yet but that is actually not a large percentage of the general population it is not a large percentage of people you work with it will be a bigger percentage possibly than you think if you work with competitors uh, and people who want to do repeated numbers of shows and preps you will find a higher percentage of these people in that demographic than in the general population so you do need to be aware of it and you do need to screen for it but with that said there is nothing wrong with going balls out sometimes if the person wants it and it's appropriate for them yeah, I think in terms of just adding to that, even if they haven't been in the, the prep competing type world, if they come from a sporting background um, mm. and they just know hard training, quote unquote, in general, then they may not do it appropriately. They may not do it effectively, but they can still push themselves to a certain level. Um, so this, they haven't experienced maybe a hard dieting phase or how to be strict around nutrition and, and lifestyle, but they just from who they are within their personality, if they come from maybe a competitive sporting background, they may be that type of mindset. Well, everything's just got to be super intense training wise. Um, so they still could be seen as a general pop type client, but there'd be one that I need to really, I think, keep a close eye on in terms of how much they push in training during maybe a, a longer dieting phase. I've had a conversation with a few of those over the years and I try and put it into this, like there's different types of tough, right? Like if you're suffering as an athlete in a session, you know, let's say it's preseason kind of whatever, that is super hard. You might throw up and it's aggressive for maybe, you know, an hour to a few hours if it's a more endurance based kind of thing, but it's over. You push really hard for a short period of time and then it's kind of over and you get to go rest. With something like a prep, it's not as intense at any one moment of time as any of those little moments in that hour-long suffering, but it is continual. So it's a different level of tough. It's a different level of suffering that you kind of try and get this person to shift their mindset around from thinking, how hard am I dying in this hour to, okay, I don't need to be there, but what I am going to have is and not from the get-go necessarily, but hunger and lethargy is going to kick in as we get near to stage condition or photo shoot condition. There's no two ways around it. And that low-level suffering is just in the background the whole time in a way that they probably won't be used to just yet for, for most athletes or most people who come from a sporting background. Then pointing that out and getting them to try and engage in that sort of process a little bit is useful. And also, you know, as you go through that process, they might be used to pushing really hard initially. And that's fine because at the start of a prep, they got plenty of energy, most likely. So you can kind of do that. And then they'll realize it themselves. And you've pointed this out and signposted it. So they'll be starting to trust you now because, hey, man, he predicted kind of what was going to happen as we went along. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. Right. And then you can kind of guide them through. Yeah, let's let's maybe ease off the accelerator as we go through this a little bit through that. So I really, I've just been listening. And I'm shocked that both of you made an outrageous assumption in both of these that oh. this guy was, you know, talking about physique transformation. I mean, how do you define transformation? <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I don't know. He, he, he was meaning physique transformation. And he's asked <laughs> us and we get people jacked and shredded. But the important thing I'd add is how do we even define it? Because in my opinion, transformation we'd define as a notable change, but that doesn't have to be physical or better yet, exclusively physical. Um, so but, but, but to put that in perspective, I know you've got, both of you will have had clients where they've achieved ridiculous transformations that aren't notable to the naked eye, but in terms of how they think about stuff. And that's an important thing. If this guy's dealing with clients who are like, you know, I want to get lean and you're like, sweet, this guy wants to have a transformation. That's one of the things we bring into all our consultations is you explore why they want to get lean. And you might find that they want to get lean, but there's this other stuff they need to work on that in terms of how they think about themselves and think about training and think about food and all this sort of stuff. You're actually working on that. It might mean we still get them lean, but there's this equally big, cool transformation that happens in how they approach stuff. 
Well, and sometimes, I mean, this doesn't really relate to necessarily his question, but sometimes there are transformations that are more important coming out of the backside of getting lean uh, and managing coming back to a more sustainable physique. Um, And, you know, that before and after would almost look the wrong way around, but it might reflect a much bigger change in a person's life and a much more important change in a person's life. So, but in that instance, it probably also would be something we'd be like, how hard do you push them? I'm like, that's much harder. That's harder to quantify. Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, because it's not the same about I got them to do this many sets and reps. And <laughs> exactly. Much how many gratitude journals did you do? Yeah. yeah. But it is the thing of, you know, I, I'm just thinking of a client I've had recently who's seems to have turned, you know, recently a pretty quite a huge corner in terms of how she's, you know, approaching her business and her daily life and like, you know, setting things out and, and it's just kind of, now just flying in all these different areas um was that you paul was that what you were I, was probably, I was like was that my girlfriend no 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 um and uh and i had to push her quite hard in terms of getting her to question some of the things where she was getting into these positions and coming up with the same obstacles and things and i was like you know you know getting her to explore it and bring it back to the conversation all these sorts of things and it took a while but that was part of the coaching process that wasn't just, oh, she wanted to get lean and we just drilled her in the gym. But there was this thing of actually conversations we were having and things giving her tasks to do and making sure she did them. Um, and it, it seems to have paid off. But the uh, but that's it. I just thought I'd chuck that in there because I, everything you guys said was bang on. But I thought as another perspective, transformations don't always just have to be physical. So if there's people out there that are like, all I do is push people and get them shredded. And actually I'm now noticing after this that some of them might need to address some of these other maybe psychological areas then not saying become a therapist and step out of your wheelhouse but maybe maybe start speaking to people and factoring in that that sort of thing into your coaching practice a little bit more um i think just to bring about that if it is working with general pop clients i i probably had six years of coaching where i didn't push anyone hard to, like within the training environment i judge where they're at but in terms of actual from a dieting perspective because that's just when weren't where their heads were at that's when where their lives are at um and if he is a i say a pt who's still working with that type of clientele then experiment on yourself experiment on maybe some friends stuff like that but actually your clientele who's maybe sitting i don't know 35 to 55 sort of age bracket um and you're trying to get them in shape whatever that may be you're not going to need to push them hard to warrant getting what they feel is in good shape that's sustainable. That's the thing, right? Transformation is relative to the individual and what, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you might get clients where there's some physical change, but it's not that ridiculous, but their confidence goes through the fucking roof and they're like, I feel awesome. And you're like, that's pretty big. Sometimes as well, you're, you're also, especially initially, trying to meet an expectation that that client thinks they need, right, in order to get them to buy in enough to go towards what you think they actually probably need. You know, I reminded one of my clients, in-person clients, uh, Helen, yoga instructor, who uh, <laughs> she calls me briefcase because uh, apparently I love spreadsheets and things too much. Uh, and Helen fucking hates tracking or recording anything. So we basically don't, other than when I'm with her in the session, we can record the data kind of through there. But fine. But her husband, Neil, ex-rugby player, um, competitive guy, trader kind of guy, like, pretty like he's like an adhd squirrel to some degree right he's like always super excited super enthusiastic wants to do stuff likes to push himself hard like in order to get when he first came in like a a buy-in that this might be useful for him because he kept suffering shoulder injuries and stuff and you know hangs out at the gym with his old rugby mates many of whom are props big barrel shaped human beings and he's a scrum half kind of warrior dude and so you know, the stuff you've heard us talk about before, the bench pressing to the chest and that might cause him some shoulder shit and all those bits and pieces. So there's stuff going on enough that he's decided he needs to come and see me and we can work on some things. But he also likes to, you know, push hard in the sessions. Like, okay, so I've got to get him a little bit of an experience that meets him with part of his expectation of working hard while also respecting, cool, I know he's got some dodgy stuff going on with that. So in those initial sessions, can I find after we've gone through some assessments and just check kind of where everything is and he's fine with that? Cool, gravy. Right. I know I can murder him on a leg extension or something. No drama whatsoever. 
And that's going to give him a sensation of, but yeah, I've never, that's, I've never experienced that before. That was the hardest set I've ever done. No joint pain, nothing. And then that gives me the wiggle room now because he's bought in and trusts me to work a little more slowly, a little more sensibly with those parts of him that aren't there yet. And then over time, we could bring things into a more steady, okay place with the occasional burst of die if he needs to die on something because he wants to. Right? So you're also managing that initial phase when you meet someone. What do they think they need from a transformation process? And because I can't just always persuade them straight out the gate through words alone. I might have to persuade them through experience and then move them along. So you have to have that conversation. Yep. All right. We'll wrap that one. Next question. This one's this one's another this is another very serious question. Philip Burn PT. If the Muslim mentors had a seven-man Royal Rumble, who would win and why? Very serious question. Um, uh, well, it's not Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan's the shortest, so he's out. He ain't gonna be able to reach anyone. No weapons allowed, or like so Ross Comrie. Well, that's a good question. Are there allowed weapons? Well, Can Ross, Ross bring a sword. Ross so I think the only weapons would be like steel chairs and stuff like that, am I right? We always have to kick him around. Cal's gonna be difficult. Cal's gonna be out of breath after Cal, about that's a good seconds. point. No, that's a good point. Mm. So you might get a good shot in first. James, then... sorry, mate, your knees would be taken out. <laughs> I was going to say, Jimbo, Jimbo's going to suffer anytime he has to bend down for too long during, during this. Yeah. Well, the thing is, James's knees are also at most people's head height, so you could just take a swing. Good point. That is a good point. James, if you can avoid it. Ross has like, just taken out my knees, so I'm done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can just hit his knees a bunch of times. There's a chance he's going to be fighting, like laying down. And then, okay, I fancy my chances if Jimbo can't use his legs. So, we haven't mentioned Alex. I reckon Alex is a bit of a dark horse. He might be a bit of, yeah, underdog. <laughs> you say that, you say that. As you know, Al is actually remarkably strong, I'm not going to lie. Really? Yeah, I remember back you know, when, when Al and I first met, and he was, I think he was dieting, and we trained during an RTS weekend, and he, like, on certain exercises, he, like, matched my strength, and I was like, that's impressive. <laughs> Because I'm very strong, people. <laughs> How much heavier than Al are you? Uh, I don't know. At the time, I must have had like 20 kilos on American. I'd say that. He's taller than me. So maybe I didn't have that much on him. I was uh, going to say, yeah, there's no way he was 75 yeah. kilos. No. I don't think, well, no, I would have been 100 and... Like, when was Luke last 95 kilos? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been 110, so he could have been 100. Men. So could, no, I could okay. But, um, but he was natty, so as well, that was impressive. But anyway, uh, yeah, Al would probably be formidable. Um, he also, he's got hand-eye coordination, cricket player, probably knows how to handle a swinging weapon. Um, <laughs> Reasonable with a bat. That's also in Luke's favour, though. The tennis years, probably pretty good at slapping people in the face with a racket. I would, I would say I'm not that nimble, so... yeah. See, I'm definitely. I'm going, I'm going back to Ross. I'm going back to Ross. He might, as well as spitting on your ass, low center of mass. He takes, he takes me as the person who might like gouge your eyes out. Oh, Whereas actually, also, Ross, no eye gouging allowed. This is a rule. <laughs> also, remember, Ross has like some fucking martial arts background that he fought for Ireland. That's actually a good point. Okay, Ross, <laughs> probably Ross. <laughs> say, yeah, because I would also just be trying to RKO everyone, just like you know. <laughs> I'll just be like, fuck it. I want to be Randy Orton just going in and RKOing people. The best part of this is you, you, Cal and Jimbo would definitely injure yourselves within about three, three minutes, I think, of this time. Like they tried to jump off the top rope, yeah. got knackered, broke some limbs. Yeah, you, you would realize quite quickly that they're at like some of these wrestlers are actually fun, like familiar. Oh, amazing athletes. Yeah, yeah. And you'd be like, oh, that's my knee. Great. <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like Ross could take this, which is a shame because I didn't want that to be the outcome, realistically. Yeah, he's he's got weapons and he's got training experience. Having said that... Cal might bring his shotguns and then we're all fucked. You say Ryan's out. Ryan is exceptionally fast and also very spry. Yeah, he's very spry. So he would be able to like... It doesn't matter. Do you remember when he tried to psych up Cal for a squat? <laughs> People have never seen this video. It's worth finding. But the thing is, he's nimble. He might be able to outlast everyone and dodge Ross. So, because Ross is getting big. So. I feel like I could, Ryan might be more nimble than me, but I reckon I could last with him in yeah, endurance stakes. 
Yeah, I think endurance would play a big factor, and I feel Ross wouldn't actually last that long given his current state. So, <laughs> Ross was heavy breathing on the podcast, I think, <laughs> the last time, or on one of the live calls, just from Ross, sitting there. Ross would have an outrageous start, but I reckon he'd drop off a cliff quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, which might actually happen with me as well. Um, so. Yeah, I reckon I reckon it could be Paul and Ryan left at the end, and then Paul takes just on mass. <laughs> but the, the thing is, the only way that's happening is if I avoid you large fuckers for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so the strategy is very much dancing around for a while, <laughs> waiting for you guys to injure each other and take each other out, and then trying to pick things off. And but that's reliant on a bit of luck. You know, there's a chance I'm going to try and dance around something and bounce into Cal and be fucked. <laughs> I, would, I would go dirty tactics straight out the gate. I'm not going to lie. And I'd go straight for a steel chair and hit and stand in the corner. And anyone who came near me, just bang, you're dead. <laughs> Tough. We need to we need to try and make something like this happen. At the uh, at our little Christmas party. We'll just get. Do you remember those uh, inflatable ones? They used to have some kind of like weird inflatable Olympics kind of thing and how was like gladiators could smash each other off platforms it's, it's going to end with like broken noses and like chipped teeth and all this sort of stuff it's <laughs> the mentors team get together everyone ended up overnight stay in the police sort of <laughs> <laughs> we lost a guy <laughs> anyway. yeah, I think, so what, what are we saying so I I, possibly Ross I think Ross here we go with Ross I don't think Ross would win I actually reckon um, if it, I reckon it would come down to endurance and like the actual surprising like would be I reckon you could take this ball yeah I've not got the mass for this <laughs> do you not have that do you not have a like stage combat training in um I do have stage combat training I can parry in seven different positions with a sword and uh, rapier and dagger but I don't know that you're allowed those in, <laughs> in the, and also that's stage combat it's very much staged I kind of know where you're about to hit <laughs> it's pre-planned <laughs> All right, this one's up in the air. I feel like we're not going to be able to answer this until it happens. So if this if this video on YouTube gets ten thousand views, um, <laughs> I don't think there's an obvious choice here. I would say we'll do it if if this video gets ten thousand views. So share this around, people. Every competitor has a has a, like a. If we were making top trumps cards here, there's there's some positive points for any player in this game. I'm probably going to regret that, and this video is going to get ten thousand views, and we're going to have to do a. <laughs> <laughs> The dress up as yeah, we, we, we say something really useful later on in the podcast that everyone's like, oh you gotta watch this video you know this live this podcast for this one bit on whatever we talk about and then accidentally we now have to do a seven man royal rumble <laughs> um, all right well right so what we said we'll leave that one up in the air i mean people i mean if you guys have your own opinion mm. share it and let us know what are we missing yeah what are we missing I mean, Cal could let like Cooper and Ava into the ring and they could go for the ankles and it could be over. <laughs> um, anyway, next question from JG Fit Coaching. Is failure training a cop-out in terms of programming, i.e. doesn't require much thought? It depends who's programming it. <laughs> like maybe for some people, if you just went, just die and you'll be fine. Mm. I actually remember... Ah, uh, being at ah uh, crap. Who won Mr. Olympia a few years ago? Only won it once. Harry Sean Roden. Sean Roden. I was at a Sean Roden seminar. Thank you. Uh, back in Hereford, he came and did like a UK tour ago. A friend of mine owns a, a gym in back in my hometown in Hereford. I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll turn up and what have you. And his nutritionist, Chris Aceto. If anyone knows Chris Aceto, oh, yeah. I enjoy. I enjoy that they call him nutritionist. What that really means is drug doctor <laughs> and uh, but i remember them talking a little bit about like um what does sean do in in training terms and chris was like well basically i tell and sean's training partner i forget his name uh, was, it, he was trained by charles glass wasn't he that was the guy who used to he used to go I've been at some point it wasn't at this stage if that was the case i mean maybe still was. i don't know by the way, his, his training partner was was kicking around with a massive dude oh, that uh, was yeah um Stan something who's French French guy anyway right. and, and their um Chris Asito's like requirements all he needed from his training was and I'm quoting to fuck him up <laughs> right so it was chest day fuck him up back day fuck him up <laughs> right and they just kind of went in and, and somewhat murdered each other so that's one 
Which is ironic. And he won Mr. Olympia. So it's ironic because if people have actually watched Sean Roden train, he doesn't train with that much intensity or did not. I remember watching it and be like, really? Is that it? Like the guy would be doing RDLs with like one plate aside and he'd grow like hamstrings and glutes. (laughs) A fucking house. You're like, okay, great. I remember him just being like, yeah, I just, I I was like, how do you know when you've done enough? Because he doesn't write anything down to record it. It's like, how do you decide then when you've done enough? He's like, I just know. Okay. There's not much I can take from that, but all right. (laughs) So people like the people who are that freaky just don't go to them for advice. They don't know what Mm. they've literally picked up a weight and be like, oh. But in some to some degree, that coach planned failure, and was it a cop out? Maybe. I mean, it worked on one level because we clearly won Mr. Olympia. So fine. But is is it a cop out? Therefore, for other people, let's say people who hopefully put a bit more thought into their training stuff. Boys, is it a cop-out then? I would say, well, no, I would say to, to expand on your first point, for, like before, people quite often don't understand the science behind training to failure. And I think there are there is still a number of coaches out there that maybe think train to failure is actually superior for hypertrophy in certain specific context you could make that argument but you'd have to be very specific about what you know what you're comparing it to um but and, and in those camps i think they probably do use is a little bit of a cop out in terms of not knowing anything else um and not being able to vary it essentially so that i mean that's one of the things the problems with people that just use top set back off set which is a very common thing like you get a program from them it's like top set back off set both to failure which if you're doing a back off set to failure at high reps it's not a back off set it's just another set to failure <laughs> yeah you haven't really backed off um, you've just you play kind of higher rep set no, no. Um, a back off set would mean le- less intensity and not going to failure but anyway well no one says in the midst of a fight back off and then you agree to just punch them more times but like lower <laughs> like that's not what a, that's not a back off I know the uh, we covered that. I think I, I said that before in a podcast that people don't know what a back offset means. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I think the you know in terms of it being a cop out, like whether they treat it as a cop out or they literally just have nothing else in their toolkit. But I think for the people that know the science of being like, okay, there's context where train to failure is useful, and if you do choose to train to failure, there's certain things you need to be very cognizant of, which means maybe being aware of active range of motion and when, you know, the, the movements you're choosing to apply it to, is there a lot of juggle? Is it, you know, are they very stable and supported all these sorts of things. Like if you're going to use training to failure and you understand exercise well and what goes into that, I would say there's more thought that's required because you it has to be very context specific. Um, but equally, uh, well, I said at the same time, when you understand exercise a little more thoroughly, You'll, you'll be aware that there's many instances where not trained to failure or what people, you know, like we did a whole podcast on defining failure in general. Like what are we, what are we trained to? And we, without reiterating that, I would just say go and listen to that because there's only a few before this. Um, we define failure as Ross. As yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it would be, you know, a, a better term might be set endpoints because it's a thing of, you know, we're never really even getting to failure. Um but you know choosing to end sets when it might not be that i can't do any more reps but something else has happened maybe the rep speed slowed down maybe there's just a niggle that's resurfaced you're like hey i want you to stop when that happens or you know when they lose the ability to feel a really good contraction there's all these things you can do and you're like well that's a form of failure in the sense of they failed to do something um but um but might be more relevant to the individual right so i think if you are yeah, my opinion is it's not a cop-out, but I obviously have a different interpretation of what training to failure means than what this guy's maybe asking. Jimbo? Yeah, I just I agree, really. And even looking at my, myself, first starting as a PT 15 years ago, <laughs> before a few of you probably listening, um, and even we're out of nappies <laughs> when I was starting in the industry, and we did like taster sessions, and you're doing a freebie taster session with the client, and the almost initially you think oh well the only way i can add value is by trying to push them hard or train them to failure trying to get more out of them whereas so it's something i think if you're someone who's got a small amount of knowledge then it's things yeah that's what i can do to add value but as you start expanding that knowledge and actually understand an exercise you understand well when is it appropriate to quote unquote push to failure 
when there are other things going on with speed of movement, with alignment, with path of motion, with awareness through other body positions, and um, that it's not appropriate for that. Um, so it's no way can we say that it's a cop out and that we're always going to go to that point. Um, but I know early on in my career, in that first year or so, I was like, well, that is the way that that was the cop out then, because I was like, that's the way I'm going to add value. So that's what I thought, but I didn't really understand exercise at all. Now we're more understanding. It's like knowing for which set, which movement, um, within which workout, uh, within this exercise, is it specific or is it appropriate to try and push to as close to that point as possible? So would you agree that, I mean, I would, if this guy had asked the question, is failure training um, a gross demonstration of, or a demonstration of gross negligence in terms of programming? I would agree. I would agree. I don't think I don't think it's a uh, it's a cop out. I think if someone's just trained to failure, they're not considering or willing to expand their their toolkit and knowledge base, and also considering the individual. I'd say it is gross negligence more than a cop out. Big statement, big statement. But it is probably I'd say if that's all you're doing with everyone who comes through your door, you're potentially doing damage in quite a lot of situations. If you're doing that with everyone who comes through your door, you've worked with about five people who've come through your door. <laughs> Or, and yeah. they've all been bodybuilders because the moment you oh, you go, okay, this is a 63-year-old lady, right? She's just come, what are you going to murder her in the gym on every, like, top set, back off set, die, die some more. Come on, Carol, you're not leaving till you're dead. I'm like, no, it's not happening. Go spend some time with actual people and recognize that that isn't appropriate for the vast majority. Would you do it to your nan? <laughs> if you think your nan needs to train to failure you've either got a badass nan or you don't like her or you don't have one uh, or you've got no experience with training people <laughs> you don't want one um, <laughs> even with, with that general pop type of clientele if that's the clientele maybe that someone is working with it can be 20 reps off failure and still not be appropriate for them the amount of times that i've seen over the years or heard over the years or few times myself early on in the years where you've taken a client through a session and they've been sick like, there's no point if they train to failure but he's still i a couple of times when i did it earlier days and he's still learn <laughs> and i've seen other trainers do it where it's just the most inappropriate thing you can do as a coach is to take someone to that point where you haven't read them you haven't have any idea in terms of where they're at going through the workout and so and they probably haven't even hit failure in your eyes um throughout any set but you can still if you make someone sick then still he's done too much same as like you know one of my in-person clients of the few that i still work with these days been with me for years you know she had a stroke in her early kind of 40s and then had a whole bunch of neural issues as a result of that like and still struggles a little bit with balance in certain stuff as a result and can't see out one eye as a result wow. okay how close to failure should i push a split squat for her like, what are you even talking about? That's just doesn't even factor into my consideration for that particular stuff on certain movements for her and her goals. So you just need to work with a wider range of people. It is appropriate for plenty of people on it, certain things. But I say work with a wider range of people. There might be people who just go, oh, I only work with bodybuilders who I can do that with. And if that's a choice that you're like, oh, I really enjoy working with those people and that's and cool. But if that's because you're like, I actually don't know how to work with anyone else, then it's like, maybe do something about that because better as an exercise. Equally, even if you did just work with bodybuilders, are you telling me all bodybuilders just do a top set, a back off set to failure? Okay. And all the bodybuilders have used a different approach to that. They've got terrible physiques. No, right? So why not try and expand the toolkit you've got? Because some of those clients will respond better to a higher volume approach. Some of them will respond better to this intensity. Some might do really well on intensity for now and then do really well as they shift into a volume approach and vice versa. But you're only going to find that out by exploring and expanding. Amen. So next question. Um, by This is either, yeah, I'm going to go Keevil Fit. If I'm just going to pronounce his tag um, or his IG um, line. What's the biggest animal you could beat in a fight? Uh, well, this I, this depends, I think, because um, if we're talking in like technical rules, I think I could beat almost any animal because I don't think they'd abide by the rules. They therefore get disqualified, and I would win. So, like, if I'm fighting a bear in boxing, it's going to try and bite me. You can't bite in boxing. We all learned that from Tyson. So, I'm going to beat the bear. Now, I might die, but on the scorecards, I go down as the victor. <laughs> so, this this depends on what kind of fight are we having. 
Well, it's the thing. I mean, if the bear's not going to like stick to the rules, I'm bringing a gun into that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get Ross's sword, and then <laughs> again, we might we might both lose, but I'm still standing. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I say that. I mean, the Revenant, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, has a gun. Um, gets makes it. no difference. And, yeah, oh, that's horrible. That scene. Um, but anyway, yeah. I mean, so Paul's going to take a bear in boxing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I didn't say I would. I said this depends on what this question means. I mean, I mean if it's if it's a real like, what could you actually be in a fight? Like no rules or none of them. We, we almost we, nothing. Well, we go back to the first question. You know, um, achieving a transformation. Let's define transformation. Let's define fight. All right. <laughs> if it's a battle of wits, then we might be able to take some stuff, quite a few things out, given the heat being at the top of the challenge. Um, but equally, if it was, a, or if you know, if it was a, a battle using guns, we also might be able to take out quite a few. Um, if it was a battle of wits, really tickled me on that. Like, just I've got this image of Luke sitting down to chess with like a mountain lion, <laughs> a cage as well. So you're just like, oh, I guess you're missing that next move. I can't check, mate. Already, mate. Yeah. If it's an actual fight, yeah, I, we human beings suck. Pathetic bags of flesh compared to most of the animal kingdom. Yeah. I think if it was a game of trivial pursuit with a with a lion in a cage, then it, you know their answers are going to be pretty one dimensional. I think I'd probably stand a good chance. <laughs> um, um, yeah, the uh, this is a difficult one. I mean, if we were actually going to be realistic, <laughs> you ever tried to pick up a cat that doesn't want you to pick it up? That's what I'm going to say, right? You know, you, I was thinking, oh yeah, you could probably take a monkey, but I reckon they would vicious. Oh, Maybe like a lemur, but you're probably losing a finger or two. Even like you know, you try and take a swan. Like swans are vicious. Swan are swan. Yeah. yeah, they can break a leg with an arm. Yeah, well, a wing. I should call it probably not really an arm, is it? Yeah. So I mean, we, you ever we, seen a badger in person? Those things are thick, like with three C's. Yeah. Well, it makes you think how quite Im- how impressive it is that human beings did manage to get to the top of the food chain when we actually physically are so outmatched in most scenarios yeah we suck at literally almost everything yeah. in the animal kingdom like yeah. we can do distance running better than most animals but that's actually it yeah <laughs> so if we're going he didn't specify weaponless but i'm assuming this is a hand like hand to hand fight then very little the very fact that we have to call it a hand-to-claw fight should yeah. suggest we're not going to do well. Yeah, I mean, a, uh, I'm thinking a tadpole. I'd probably <laughs> could do... What could I do? I fancy my chances against a raccoon, probably. I'm going to take some wounds, don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. I reckon I could beat it. We could get wounded. So, yeah, some sort of, like, large rodent sort of... I mean, is that a rodent? A raccoon? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Anyone who knows anything about raccoons, what do we call it? I would probably want to set myself a challenge and take on a rhino or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought this before. Even if you tried, like, let's say you had to fight a cow. I'm confident that a cow can't beat me, but I don't think I could ever kill a cow with my bare hands. No. You're not going to get your arms around its neck to choke it because it's a cow. It's enormous. Well, and you're also not going to punch it and knock a cow out. <laughs> you're just going to annoy it. So... You just be in this weird stalemate where you feel punching a cow who just, just doesn't seem to care too much. Right, but... they kill you, like they just like oh, if it can kick you and stuff and get near you, you're pretty screwed. But they haven't got a quick turning circle, there's a cow. Might stampede you, that would be awkward. Yeah. The worst would be a kangaroo if you tried to have a boxing match with a kangaroo. That would actually they might stick to the rules if you were still getting <laughs> You guys have never seen a jacked picture of a kangaroo oh, yeah. doing like a most muscular. There's a video of a guy actually having a fight. Punching a kangaroo, it's amazing. I think he does get decked, doesn't he? Because they're yeah. um, but no, yeah, I'm gonna go uh, I'll go conservative and I'll say I Two would, hour? No, I'd probably want to fight a monkey. So there's some element of it being like, you know, but not what a kind baboon. of monkey though, because that's raw. Yeah, that is it, yeah, not a baboon, because that would they no, would, you, ain't, you ain't being a baboon. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say a uh oh it's the thing I'm now I'm thinking of 
types of monkeys. I don't you know. could take a capuchin. They're, pro- you know, like they're, proportional, they're proportional strength. Yeah, there's like, you ain't getting any type of monkey. Oh, no, no. Like, you you can do like a lemur, like a toddler-sized monkey here. You know Ross's monkey in France? A capuchin. You okay. could take <laughs> one of them. It'd be hard to catch, but I reckon once... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has to fight you too, so it's going to be... Bad. One hit and it's down, I reckon. So... I like the fact you think you're going to try and punch it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you'd be better off trying to grab it and like twist its neck or something. Kick it, yeah. Kick it. <laughs> um, Imagine hoofing a monkey. Fucking hell, it's gruesome. <laughs> we are actually not... Uh, um, like, Anyone work for animal rights and welfare okay, here? We are actually uh, in support of animal rights and all this sort of stuff. This is purely hypothetical. This, isn't, this won't have been in the medical disclaimer at the beginning, actually, any talk about hurting animals, but yeah, we'd probably... We don't really, what we're saying is animals would probably hurt us more, yeah. so... Uh, we're not optimistic. The ball's going raccoon. I'm going capuchin. James is going. I'm going to go some type of bird that's had its wings clipped. No, they can't, they can't have that. Otherwise, I'd be like, well, I could kill a fucking paralyzed lion. <laughs> <laughs> they can't fly away, and I can just kick it. <laughs> we fucking stand on it. I would fight. Like James, um, James fighting his animal equivalent of an albatross. <laughs> wingspan to wingspan. yeah Um, yeah it's a good question it's a good question okay next question i think it was on the uh the other one and it is chest slash back split why is it nowadays not common to use this and that was from rock and roller solid name name. uh i've probably because people (laughs) go through phases of like if something gets in vogue, it's in vogue for a while, and then someone kicks off against it. It's like this is the new approach, and well, so yeah. I mean, to counter this, it's now the only approach I'm going to use going forward. So. <laughs> but, but to counter use to counter this, I've used it this week on myself. <laughs> <laughs> the record. So, I mean, even for me, like what what is your interpretation of a chest back split? Is it in within the session? You're basically doing a chest exercise pair with the back, or is that was my interpretation of the question the fact that you're doing chest and back in the same session i certainly used to do it and then i had arms and shoulders and legs that was i would talk he's talking split so i'm suggesting is all you train chest and back because you'd be like oh screw screw legs screw arms yeah it's a screw arms because otherwise if you like kept the arms in it's basically like every 18 year old's training plan for a fair while yeah um but no, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I've used that with clients like in terms of there's sessions and they might, I might not label it chest back, but I will label it, you know, it might be upper lower and in the upper session, there'll be a chest exercise paired with a back exercise. And that's just, you know, relevant individual and what, you know, in terms of if we don't want to smash the intensity through the roof and, and those sorts of things, there's benefits to it. I think there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a fairly quick question, I'd say. So I thought the next, which kind of links in because it's chest focused. The next question could be converging versus non-converging chest presses. Is there a big difference for hypertrophy? And that's Harvey Simmons. Kimbo, you want to hit? Do you want to jump in, Paul? <laughs> He's having to mute himself because of his dog. Have it, baby. <laughs> oh, which is great. So for those, if you're, if you're not clear in your head as you're listening to this, when we say converging... Uh, versus non-converging chest stuff. If you imagine doing a, a dumbbell press, your arms kind of come together as you get to the top. If you do a bench press, they don't come together as you get to the top. They have to stay apart. The bench press is the non-converging one, it's called a parallel, uh, and the dumbbell one or a cable press or whatever is going to converge. It's going to come together. And you can but get then, just as well. You can get rare pieces like the Cybex VR2 chest press, which actually diverges. So your arms go out a little bit, and there's the hammer strength incline press that doubles up as a pull down on the other side, that one diverges a little bit. So your hands end up a little bit further apart. But you can yeah. even find that with the Cybex Eagle um, press as well, functions as both a parallel and a conversion, depending on how you want to kind of use it. So there's bits of kit that do a whole variety of stuff. Uh, I mean, the main consideration here really is just how short we're getting the muscle length and what, I mean, if we take it outside of what exercise we're applying to us and what that means for our strength output in different positions. They're going to be the main concerns I'm starting to have. Go for it. No, I was just saying the, the Eagles, 
converging both ways. I just thought about that. They both converge. The other one's just single axis. And, That's yeah. true. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so the eagle one converges a tiny bit or a lot, depending on how whether or not you want it to. That's fair. Uh, but yeah, the, the biggest thing kind of going, all right, well, in, let's say, let's use a, a cable chest press that we've set up so we still have a challenge at the top position where I've gotten my pec into a shorter position than if I was pushing out on something diverging on a parallel path. Well, I'm getting into the short position, so I'm going to be getting a little bit weaker as I get into that position than if I was to press and not converge just because of those muscle lengths uh, or sarcomere lengths really in, in this particular position. It will be a huge change in internal moment arm between there and there. Um, so you're looking at that. Is that a night and day difference? I don't think so, no. We can definitely say that hypertrophy can occur working at a variety of muscle lengths. There is possibly some evidence that suggests working at longer muscle lengths might lead to a little bit more, in which case we're interested actually in the challenge in the bottom of these positions where it makes no difference whether it's converging or, or diverging at that point. Um, so my gut feeling, does it make a big difference to hypertrophy? No. Might it make some difference to hypertrophy? Yeah, possibly. If we're looking at an ability for localized hypertrophy, and there is some evidence suggesting that we that different exercises and working at different muscle lengths does hypertrophy different parts of the muscle, maybe there's a little bit of something there. In an ideal world, if I'm programming for chest stuff, I do want an exercise that converges as well. Yeah, I would definitely be wanting to have that in there. Do I think it's the be-all and the end-all? No, I think there's a load of stuff I'm more interested in before that. Another component to add to this would be certain machines so that might swing the the, um, the pendulum in one direction in terms of you know more hypertrophy in one scenario versus the other, but maybe under a different context. Where if we've got like so the Cybex Eagle, just thinking about it, the axis is above, so it converges, but there's also this like upward arc in terms of how our arms move through the excursion versus maybe a parallel machine press that arcs downwards and if i i'm going to stand side on to the camera or sit side on if, for the people watching you'd be able to see like if i come up through this excursion here versus if i kind of go down different tissues you know different fibers in the pack all we've done there for those listening is one he kept his arms in line with his nipples the entire way as he pressed out so it stayed parallel to the floor horizontal the other one sloped up a little bit as he pressed through and came away from i'm going to keep using his nipples came away from his nipples towards his neck that's cool um but yeah if you want a visual for that then, then... keep imagining luke's nipples that's really what i'm saying um, phenomenal i can take my top off <laughs> um, but no so there's gonna be different you know, fibers of the pec that are required to do more work. And, you know, if we have that upward arc as we come through. And so if someone was like, oh, is there going to be a difference in hypertrophy in this converging press versus this parallel press? The, depending how you arc through it, certain fibers might get more of a stimulus than others. So in that upward arc, we might get a bit more in that clavicular upper pec region kind of being stimulated. Maybe we'd over time see more growth there. Now, I'm not going to go and make a claim that that would be significant and all these sorts of things. I would say, you know, potentially could in certain certain scenarios, but we'd have to, you know, you'd have to have kind of tests and, and data and stuff to back that up. But there are contexts where the type of, you know, the path of motion essentially in a press could influence hypertrophy. But like Paul said, it's unlikely to be hugely significant. Um, but I wouldn't say none. I wouldn't dismiss yeah. it. Um, yeah. And over time, who knows, it might be significant. So, um, yeah, I'd say James just missed all of that. Kimbo, I think, was dealing with a dog. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's a good question, to be fair. Um, the, the funny part is Jimbo's missed the entirety of the question that he was probably most looking forward to answering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I agree with what you guys said. Sweet, yeah. perfect. <laughs> said there's not going to be much difference and i added if there's you know we converging but going in this upward path of motion at the same time versus staying parallel and coming kind of you know essentially more flat or arcing downwards different fibers might get stimulated so there may be a difference in hypertrophy there in terms of what's being demanded of the pec but overall we said not a huge difference probably but maybe something yeah, we also kind of said look, we'd like, ideally, we do want a converging chest exercise at least somewhere in the program. Um, 
I think it wasn't a question, but maybe something for discussion or maybe to think about to add to it as well is when would it be appropriate to put converging compared to parallel? If we're looking at program application and we've got two chest exercises, three chest exercises, the valid. Um, how how do we program them? Do we go and do the barbell bench press first? Then we go and do a D-handle cable chest press or a Cybex chest press or a dumbbell chest press. There's something that converges where your hands come together. Um, second, or do we do it the other way around? That's, um, a, that's a good point. I mean, that's the thing because the question was coming in, you know, is there a big difference in terms of hypertrophy? Maybe not, but in terms of the juggle that's involved, the fatigue that we might incur through the movement, coming up with an order for this stuff is going to be important. So, yeah, so carry on, Jimbo. Yeah. Well, there's no no go a correct answer really there's as a thought process um that i feel a lot of people would go your traditional parallel path barbell press type movements first when if we actually look at what's going on with the converging path very simply it's allowing for a bigger range of movements so we're going through a bigger excursion we might start in the same shoulder joint position when we're looking at the converging or the parallel but we'll finish through a bigger range in the converging. So knowing that's going through a bigger range, potentially we could make this, the statement on the argument we'd want to put that first because we're going to reach a high level of fatigue through that. So then we're going to put the exercise second, um, which doesn't come into quite a shorter position um, in the end, which which would go against your, your ego lifters out there who want to lift more on the Smith machine or the um, barbell press of any form um, because they're not able to put that first. But you could quite easy make the argument that putting some form of converging press first um might be a better better way to go with it and then putting that parallel path exercise second we could also say within that that we have a tendency to fatigue faster in the short position so which of these exercises presents us a greater challenge in a short versus lengthened we'd also probably go with the converging option we're presuming a few things about the exercise but let's use a cable one then cool we might also not just for stability but from a fatigue profile perspective go cool let's put that guy first and then move to the parallel, more stable, fixed bar exercise after that. Yeah. But as Jim said, there's no hard and fast right or wrong answer on that. Yeah, and a lot of like the Nautilus chest press, Cybex Eagle chest press, a lot of the hammer strength chest press, they get heavier as you push through, which like, I oh, know initially that's great. We're stronger at the top of the movement. But the, the relative sort of increase in magnitude as they push through is, is actually too much for once we start to have any degree of fatigue. Um, and as that fatigue increases through the session, it, we definitely almost need a spotter to get an a, appropriate um, or some sort of congruency with profile, strength profile to resistance profile um, on any type of movement. So with that understanding, if you're training on your own, again, it's probably better to put them type of movements first than maybe the Smith machine parallel path type press, uh, maybe second. Nice. Sweet. All right. Final question. Go for it. So, Mr. Carlo Sullivan, Carl, has come in with an appropriately dramatic question. So you're shaking your protein shaker and suddenly, poof, a genie pops out. He grants you three wishes for the fitness industry. What are they and why? Be a good one to wrap up on. Should have really given this some thought and come up with funny answers. <laughs> Feels like the kind of thing I need. Come on, Paul, you're normally good on the spot. <laughs> no pressure. For the fitness industry is difficult, isn't it? Because you're like, say, three. I mean, one of mine, I'm going to be uh, in line with my values and say, I wish that there was a, uh, a more um, stringent process for personal trainers and coaches to actually get qualified and stay qualified. Um, which involved them having to do a lot more education and respect that part of the job a bit more. Um, don't say that. I wish that natties could grow as big as gear users and the small calves were valued. <laughs> that's two. Okay, that's two. <laughs> uh, I should probably come up with a really useful one. What would essentially we're asking? What would we change or like to see in the in the industry? Again, I well, guess. I would wish that the muscle mentors ran the entire thing. So that would yeah. be... Uh, Luke wants to take over the world, ladies and gents. <laughs> just the fitness industry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, I don't know if I would actually count that. Because that would be too much work and responsibility. For that. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I guess you would, I'd probably go, I wish mechanics was a foundational part of learning stuff as a PT. Yeah. Like, I think that's, <laughs> I mean, it'd be, a, it'd be a bit of a waste of a genie, to be honest. Yeah, he I don't, I think like this is, if Aladdin had really used all of his wishes on this, it'd be a shit film. But <laughs> it's probably the most applicable to fitness ones. I'd just be selfish and take one for myself and have my wish my joints were what they were when I was three years old. <laughs> <laughs> Screw the fitness industry. I want one of those I wish for myself. my knees back. <laughs> Too bad. Is it like that's the thing? I mean, it would still be a favor to the fitness industry for me to say, okay, so for Jimbo to have his knees back. <laughs> could, I, could I have Mr. Dong's dog? First wish would be the what I said in terms of education, stringent, um, you know, qualifying process and all this sort of stuff. Second, I'm with Paul that mechanics would need to be a a like prerequisite or requisite for someone to be a PT, which would include anatomy. So that's in there. Um, and then the third one would be to have the most ridiculous gym with every piece of equipment in the world, rent free, um, that we could do anything out of camp wise. Um, pretty much like The Rock, actually, where if we could go to another country and they'd ship it out and it wouldn't cost anything. Um That'd be quite useful. I'd probably put that in. So that'd be the third selfish one, but the other two are probably quite helpful. Mm. I'd also like a billion pounds. Nick, that could come from fitness. Fine, cool, whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I would like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, the rest are all uh, deeply inappropriate. To give a serious one to finish, probably not, because I know Paul will come up with another one. Um, but I, I wish that everyone wasn't focused on quick fitnesses when they got into the fitness industry. So they, if they actually stayed with it and were willing to put the work in and worked three to six years, absolute minimum, just grinding to see where the business could be, they'd be surprised in eight, 10, 12 years where they could actually get to. Oh, here's they, another one in that case that I reckon. I wish, and I don't read this, doesn't really apply to me anymore, but it would, it would help the fitness industry. The, the majority of PT sessions actually took place between nine and five. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than 6 a.m. and 7 p.m. Well, later than that for a lot of people. Oh, so, God, I, mean, I was usually at the gym till nine or ten, there at six in the morning. The old yeah. nine o'clock sessions have been like, great. I know this is really bad for my client's sleep and even my sleep, but it's... Yeah. So great. <laughs> yeah, so that that would I'd be treated as some kind of fitness savant hero messiah. Uh, I think if I could change the working hours, PTs, and that might give me the billions. I'd charge a small tax, like I don't know, 0.5% of everyone's income comes to me, but they get to work just nine to five and they're as full yeah. as they like. I feel like some of these interlink because my first wish is saying, like, okay. To be a PT, you've actually got to be pretty good, and there's things that make sure that that stays the case. Then maybe the fitness industry gains a little bit more respect in general, and all those people that work nine to five can apply for passes. When they're like, I've got a PT session at two o'clock, I can leave work, and that's actually allowed. And you're like, sweet, because they only work nine to five, so I've got to fit in with them. And you're like, yes, <laughs> I like it. And, and I think as a final one, every PT session has to be booked through the Muscle Mentors website and we get 0.5%. Yeah. <laughs> I like these plans. <laughs> We're going to come up with a new booking system. This is our next product we're launching. Uh, Imagine. To be fair, you've got 0.5%. That's right, but when you get yeah, millions of sessions being virtualized. Exactly. <laughs> Mr. Bezos. That's like the, theme, the scheme from, I don't know if anyone's watched Office Space. Yeah, I was going to bring it up. I was going to say Office Space. Phenomenal. Yeah. It's like you said, the pennies in the tray. So, but we take the pennies, but we do it a couple million times. <laughs> anyway, um, amazing. So, those are good wishes. I don't even know how many we came up with there, but I reckon that would be good. And if anyone else has any funny ones, then when you're showing, I'm also them. willing for us to have like some kind of fitness Playboy mansion, like a grotto. That would be, that would be the gym that travels around with us. So, oh, nice. Yeah. 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 We just, I, I we just hang out in like robes. We'd nickname it Moria and, and Ross. Would, and Rob, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ross yeah. is just underneath the waterfall near the pool. Yeah, Ross yeah. would be the resident sex goblin, and then there would be like Paul's um, weird cavern in there as well. Which <laughs> within within that gym, we'd have our own engineer 
and manufacture so we could adapt and create new things ourselves. Just add to it. Meanwhile, I was over there just being like, and there's a Viagra machine. It's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Be fair, the idea of having a gym that has every bit of kit in the world you know so that you literally you know even the ones that were like that's not great so when you do camp- oh, you need all the good ones or you need all the bad ones to show how good the appreciate good ones are. the good ones yeah i think if i had a big warehouse i'd have a load of shit kit to be yeah, like, this, this is, is how shit feels now go and try this let's go to crap corner welcome guy <laughs> this would be a big gym i mean basically i'm thinking this would be like an airplane hangar size gym with multiple floors so <laughs> it's uh it's a big one. um and somewhere in there, there's obviously a sex dungeon and a Viagra machine and all this sort of stuff. Which all the important stuff. Apparently, that's what you need in a gym. And on that bombshell, <laughs> we'll wrap it up. Um, so, no, thank you for listening, people. Thank you, guys. And, um, yeah, when people are sharing this one, hit us with your three wishes and uh, your predictions of Aurora Rumble. Um, <laughs> um, we'll see how it goes. But, no, thank you for listening, people. Thank you for listening to the Muscle Mentors podcast. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors who support the channel and everything we do in the realms of education and coaching within the industry. Firstly, our original sponsor, Supplement Needs. They've been with us from the start. If you're seeking the highest quality supplements on the market, particularly organ support and health orientated products, you can use code Muscle Mentors at checkout for 10% off your order. Precision Prep, our recently introduced food preparation partner, delivering the finest quality meal prep across the UK, featuring their new Pro Prep range, a concept closely developed with us to solve an issue we see day-to-day with time limitations and nutritional compromise. If you're seeking the highest quality nutrition delivered to your door for the best price, look no further. Use code MUSCLEMENTALS at checkout for 15% off your first order and 10% thereafter. And lastly, RAR Optics, the highest grade blue blue light blocking glasses on the market with the slickest style. In a world filled with artificial light, particularly those with high screen time, I can certainly say I'm one of them. These can be a real game changer for sleep quality and recovery, something we use personally on a day-to-day basis. Grab yourself a pair by using code MUSCLEMENTALS at checkout for money off all orders. Once again, thank you for your continued support. Until next time.